This is Quit, a podcast about change, the challenges of improving your career, making tough decisions, and starting something awesome. This is episode number 96. Today is Friday, 1st of July, the Ides of July. <laughs> person you hear laughing is Hattie Cook. Hattie, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining me of here. Of course. My name is Dan Benjamin, and... 96 of these. This is our 96th show. Are we really stopping? Someone asked that. I, I think we've got to stop. We've been doing a lot of these shows. Yeah, look how tired it's making And me. here's the thing is that you are tired. <laughs> if we stop, we can't just stop at episode 106. No, it has to be like a nice round number because both you and I would never allow it to be anything else. And so if we do stop, it would have to be at episode 100 or... Like you said the other day, like we'd have to do another 50 of them. 150, yeah. <laughs> right. And I don't know if I can commit to a whole other year of this show, but now I feel like the show is different. I feel like it, it's getting starting to get interesting. I know. I feel like it, it, it's, it swung wide <laughs> and came back around. And Just now when I thought I was out, yeah. now they drag me back in. And I have a whole lot of interesting uh, links. I know. You found a lot of good ones, and I had a couple of follow-up. They're all very important. Follow-up notes. And we have a handful of emails that we said we would get to. But some of these, a couple of these stories that I read were just so fantastic uh, that I'm hesitant to leave them in the dust and not go over these things. So I want to at least get to some of these first. One of them uh, is sort of the bigger topic for the show. So I think we could get through some of the smaller links first and then hit the big topic and then do listener feedback. I like that. I want to thank our sponsors. Who are our sponsors again? Our sponsors today are going to be Linode. Linode. Scorf Space. Scorf Space. Scorf Space. Scorf Space, the new competitor <laughs> to Squarespace. Yeah, they better watch out. And They're from outer space. Scorf Space. Sounds like something Scorf. from Futurama. It does. I have my bender right here. Yeah. So there's a little story. My, um, I've sent out a plea, and I'll I'll do. We haven't done the plea on this show, so I'll do it. Those of you who listen to <laughs> these shows that we do know that I have uh, I have two kids, a little girl who's four and a half, almost actually she's going to be five real soon. Oh yes, scary. And uh, I have a son who is eight, and he has not that long ago discovered and completely immersed himself in Futurama. He's seen every episode. He's watching all the episodes. He's seen the extended episodes, the little movies and things that they do. And he's obsessed with all the characters. And he is also happens to be a collector. He loves to collect things. What do they call the generation after the millennials? Is there a name for them yet? I don't know. I asked you that last time yeah, and gonna, I don't remember. Up with a name. <laughs> well, he's in that. And so I don't know if it's part of his, just him or if the it's screen the, generation, generation. the screen generation. That's what I'd call them. He is very into collecting vintage things, especially vintage now Futurama toys. But these things are so hard to find. So if you are listening to this show and you are in possession of any kind of Futurama-related toy from Bender to Fry to their delivery spaceship to, you know, Leela's a spare blaster pistol that Leela had, whatever it is, if you've got it, let me know. I may want to buy it off you. I will, uh, if you, if you want to donate it, that's great, but I'm happy to pay for this stuff. It's hard to find. Hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Dan Benjamin. Or you can email me, Dan, at 5x5.tv and say, hey, like, I got something. Does your kid want this? 
one of our listeners donated uh, a couple of them and it included one of the old bender toys and uh he had a had a larger bender and there's i'm leading up to something with this bear with me he had a larger bender and it was like a a talking bender and apparently because it it's larger it didn't now fit with the other ones, he's like, Dad, if you really want, because I've been telling him I'm going to steal it from him. He said, Dad, you can take it to work. So I'm a, he, my son is letting me have he's it. So I have you? a bender uh-huh. right here. Here, listen. Hasta la vista, meat bag. So hasta la vista, meat bag. It's hard to, I can't tell where the sound's coming out of him. <laughs> it's just, does it is come it out? Is it coming of- out of his butt? Aw, here's a little song I wrote to cheer you up. It's called, Let's Go Already. All right. So <laughs> that's our bender. No, I in won't be doing office. that on the show a lot. Maybe we'll, uh, you know what? The show will never air. So no, never, more. yeah. Don't have to worry about editing that. But let's jump right in now. So send me your Futurama stuff. Thanks. There's an article here on CBS News. It just came out, Hattie. Oh, yeah? Uh, study, there's been a study done. You know, we talk about education. And recently on the latest, uh, on the latest episode of Road Work, that uh, show that I do with uh, John Roderick of... Uh, the long winter, long winter's fame. He was taught poo-pooing college and getting a college education. He was and saying it's who who uh, better to go up against than you? <laughs> yeah, as the opposite. <laughs> well, I mean, we talked about it. And I saw some of his points, and his points were college. It used to be that you would go to college to learn from people who really, really knew their stuff, who were out there in the world doing it, and they were taking time out of their lives to come and. And give a lecture or teach a course or help people who don't really understand uh, something become experts in it. You know, someone who's interested in engineering would go to learn from amazing engineers. But that's not what college is anymore. He was talking about the value of an apprenticeship, saying all there are very, very few things that you couldn't learn by becoming an apprentice to someone. So uh, if you're, Hattie, if you're making show notes, uh, apprentice, apprenticeship. Apprenticeship. But he brings up a really interesting point that's kind of stuck with me, and that is most of the things that I've learned, I have learned not from college, not from from sitting in a class, but either from teaching myself through reading, through talking to people, or from direct one-on-one experience with a mentor, with somebody who is incredibly knowledgeable and me following them. This is how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. Becoming an apprentice, spending years mastering something. And uh, he's got a great point there, but that doesn't really work anymore. That getting a college degree is now the only way, and he, this is what bothered him, and I, I agree, this is the only way that you can really get a job nowadays that pays anything decent is you have to have a college degree. But let me turn that upside down for a minute here, Hattie. You're at risk for this. I'm at risk. Yeah, you are. There's been a study that links college, a college, getting a college education with a brain tumor risk. Oh, yeah, I sent this article to you usually having a higher level of education is a good thing it often means a better job salary and lifestyle but a new study shows a college education may also be linked to a higher risk for a serious health problem colon brain cancer not colon brain cancer but colon but i always read a colon because it's so you know i I feel like i have to read it because people never really it sets it up but they don't understand why This is a study that was published in the Journal of Epidemiology and Community Health analyzed data on more than 4.3 million people born between 1911 and 1961 who lived in Sweden in 1991. What a bizarre grouping of people. That's very specific. 
but they found that these certain kind of uh, brain tumors were associated with more pe- with people who had better education and better jobs. Maybe it's just higher stress levels. And gli- gliomas in particular were more common in people who had at least three years of university studies under their belt. That's a lot of long nights staring at a computer, it feels like to me. <laughs> Men who had attended three or more years of college were 19% more likely to be diagnosed with glioma compared to less educated men. Similarly, more educated women, 23% like, more likely. But they don't know why. Something in the building. They don't know why. I think, I, you know paint. what? I think you're on to something. I think, I think it's Probably not relating. Screen use. I don't think it relates to the education. Yeah. I think it relates to, like you're saying, the screen use or that maybe these people are less active or they're less getting less sunlight. Right. They're less breathing fresh air. They're, you know, it's something like that. Right. But they just glance and they're still like, hey, everyone in this group went to college. It must yeah. be college that does it. College does it. I just sent you another interesting link that when I was searching for the generation after the millennials, mm. which will just be Generation Z, right? Which sounds well, kind I'm, of scary. I'm a Gen X. You're right? a Gen Y, y. but, but they don't call you Gen as, Y. They call no. But apparently, the next generation wants to be known as the founders. <laughs> they will be, but it says why the genera- the next generation after millennials will be builders, not founders. So that's interesting. They had uh, 544 names uh, to choose from. They were in a survey across 1,000 children who were born after December 2000 to find the name that they most associate with. And they had the Navigators, the the Regenerators, the Bridge Generation, but they chose the Founders. They don't put that. this in. I don't... I know. I don't know. There's some key traits that millennials share between themselves. I don't know Basically, if I... you have to have been born after the year 2000 to be in the founder generation. Right. I, don't, I don't see how you can be a founder. Yeah, I don't... Mm. <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's a funny one. Well, I put that in the show notes too. Show notes are going to be at 5by5.tv slash quit slash 96. All right. You know, I talk a lot on the show. People will email or call when we used to have calls. They would call in and they'd say, well, I, you know, I want to, I'm, I'm doing this thing on the side and I don't know if I want to make it my full-time thing. And I would get a lot of other people who would come in and they would say, oh, thank you. Just more quit emails yeah. just floating around in my desk. And they would say, you know, I don't know if I have enough time in a day to do X, Y, Z. I don't know if I can work on a spare project. I don't know. And I, and I say, you know what? If you watch any TV, if you watch TV, period, then you know what? Then, then, then you have time. Yes. If you're watching an hour <laughs> of TV a night, right. Even you've got time minutes. to do something else. So I found an article on Recode by Peter Kafka. It says, you are still watching a, st- watching a staggering amount of TV every day. And the subtitle is, unless you're a millennial. Then you're only watching an enormous amount of TV every day. Yeah. <laughs> it's because we're the binge generation. I think we should change from millennials yeah, you should. to the binge generation. That's amazing. That's our title today, Hattie. The binge generation. Maybe. Uh, the average American watches, watches an astonishing 4.3 hours of TV per day, according to a new report from Nielsen. Add in DVR time, and that gets up to five hours a day. Five hours a day. This is idiocracy happening right now around us, Hattie. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. So this is looking at we adults. We love our shows. This is looking at adults 18 
uh, hours and up per day. How come I can hear every little paper that you're shuffling? I don't know, because I have the best microphone ever. Seriously. Here's all the rest of the quid emails, (laughs) All right. I found them. All right, thank you. So this is broken down among live TV versus versus, like DVDs, Blu-rays. (laughs) Does anyone watch? Yes, you'd be surprised at almost an hour a day. <laughs> of, of that's blue, because the DVDs of t- only DVDs are blue. <laughs> yeah, that's right but the majority of it of course is live TV TV but this is crazy you know people talk they about how they DVR and they time shift everything uh, but this is they're looking at people that are turning on the television and watching it live four and a half to five hours now is and that they're just- listening but they're listening to radio two hours a day people I think we're just consuming more media just in general I don't think I think that it's, I don't know. I don't know. A lot of people are, are listening and this is, this is increasing. Teenagers and 20-somethings watch much less TV than older folks do. Americans aged 18 to 24 watch 16.2 hours a week. That's two and a half, about two and a half hours a day. While Americans who are 35 or older, older gosh, what's wrong with me today? Who are older... <laughs> Are watching double that in a week. Well, think about this. You and I have talked about this before. I think you've mentioned this and I have too. That like my mom will just come home and just like the TV can always be running something. Even if she's not like watching it, it'll just kind of be on. Yeah. Um. So I wonder if that factors I in. think that does. When I was, uh, when I was, I remember all, for sure in my teenage years and definitely in my early 20s through college and then out of college into my early 20s. When I was home, the TV was on. It just walk in the door, light on, TV on. And it was background noise. And I think I got out of that habit. Before you had sound machines. (laughs) Right. Uh, That was before I got out of the habit of doing that, which was probably in my early 20s. I kind of questioned why was I doing that? Now, my mom still does that. Whenever she would come over to my house before I had kids, she'd say, can you please just put a TV on? It's too quiet in here. What's going on? Now we grew up in the city, right? So like we're used You're to used hearing to background sounds. noise. Uh-huh. And whenever I go to to a a city where I'm staying in a the downtown city, as my son would say, I will open up the if it's a cool climate, I'll open up the window because I love the sound of a city. I love it. But you know, it just becomes background noise for a lot of people. They're not actually actively watching it the way right. that we might be watching the Game of Thrones finale. Right, you're where not you're just, sitting there where you're like, everyone shut up. Right. Uh, so it's, you know, it's one of those those uh, things where it just becomes kind of background noise. I, I'm sure they're counting that, but still question your habits and ask, are you spending hours watching TV every day? Because if you are, that's time you could be spending on your startup, on your next thing, on learning yep. something new, on reading something new, on figuring something out. I'm not saying you don't deserve leisure time or you don't deserve after a long day to sit and but watch TV. That you do, but don't complain that you don't have time right. if you're spending four hours a day watching or TV. Or six hours or that you or watched a season in a day. <laughs> Anytime somebody comes in and says, oh man, I just, I bit, well, I was at the gym the other night and uh, one of the people there at the gym came in and she said, oh, I binge watched the entire Orange is the New Black over the last two days. I'm like, okay, like, cool. Two days? <laughs> you know, that's fine. That's fine. Right. But- you know, if if you're doing that, you don't have a place now to complain and say there isn't enough time for me to do X. There right, was you've enough chosen. time, right? You made a choice, and that's and you know what, perfectly fine to do that. Nothing wrong with doing that as long as you don't also lodge that complaint. 
you're not you're no longer eligible to lodge a complaint if you just binge watch 13 episodes of right. Orange is the New Black. You spent 13 hours over a space of two days. <laughs> That's a lot. Well, you know. So, you know, don't complain that you don't know how to code uh, Python because you were binge watching yeah. Orange is New Black. You could also learn Python and binge watch at the same time. You know? I mean, Python is pretty easy. Now, my next, there's a big topic that's coming and up And then here. remember my two side questions. Okay. Well, side question number one and then side topic. Okay. All right. Well, before we do any of that, let me thank our first sponsor. It's Linode. I love Linode. Did you know, Hattie, that they just dropped their prices like big time? Yep. Did yep. you know that? I have it in there in the read. They have they updated. They said, can't talk about this until July 1st. Well, guess what? Guess what? It's July 1st now. Woohoo! They just gave us all a gift. Well, first, let me tell you what Linode is. It's a hosting company, and they offer high-performance Linux servers. And this is what we use to host all our stuff on 5x5. This is what we use to host all of our stuff on Fireside, the service that is now, like, done. We're starting to let our beta testers in. If you want to sign up to beta test, go to fireside.io. Just sign up there. But they have amazing, amazing virtual private servers, VPSs. On a, a 40 GPS network, they've got automated backups, node balancers, managed services, guides with step-by-step -step instructions, a simple but powerful control panel, 99.9% .9 uptime, 24-7 support, everything that you need to get your website your new startup, whatever it is that you're working on, hosted and up and running. And it starts for as little as 10 bucks a month, but now you're getting two gigs of RAM because they basically doubled the RAM and everything. What do you care? Hattie, what do you care about RAM? The reason you care about RAM is that's a really good gauge of how busy your server can be. Right. You've got storage, but that's a static thing. You can increase storage, of course, but that's like a static thing. But the amount of RAM, that is going to directly affect how much load your server can handle at a time, how busy your website can get. And they made a special URL just for you guys, linode.com slash 5x5. That supports the show. Just going to that URL. I want all of you, you know, people don't do this. This is the thing. I beg them, and I know how many listeners we have. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people are listening to my voice right now, Hattie. I know. And you know how many of them are going to go to linode.com slash 5x5? All of them. Yeah, well, that's what you want. Like three. Come the, on. The you love, you love the, the show? In, how about this? Instead of, uh, in, in, instead of just laying there prone, go to your computer, go to your iPhone, go to whatever, linode.com slash 5x5. It supports the show. And when you're there, use the code 5x5 for a $10 credit. That's like a first month free if you sign up for their entry plan. So go check it out. Linode.com slash 5x5. Thanks very much to them. It's pronounced prune. What is? Not prone. Prune. I'm making a joke. Like the juice? Yeah, prune juice. There is a study that came out, I think it was about five or six years ago. And they had done a study uh, where, uh, this is from uh, Princeton University's Woodrow Wilson School. Ah, Woodrow Wilson. Of course. That they determined that... Uh, $75,000 a year, and by the way, they've recently upped this number. I'll get to that. But at the time, $75,000 is the threshold that if you make less than that, you might be unhappy. In fact, you will be unhappy. But once you make $75,000, you'll be happy. And 
it doesn't matter how much more you make per year than $75,000, you won't get more happy. So the, ha- the more money you make as you approach 75K, the happier you'll be. You hit peak happiness title at $75,000 a year salary. But then if you make $80,000, you are not happier. You make $100,000, you are not happier. You make $300,000, still not happier. It, I feel like that's kind of similar to like the number of downloads your podcast gets. You know, it kind of like plateaus at a certain area. Right. And I feel like if you're at 75, that's like a, a predetermined goal. But I feel like anything beyond 75, you start to feel like, oh, I should be getting 100 because mm. anything between 75 to 100 is unacceptable. <laughs> well, the way that they did this, they were asked how they had felt the previous day and whether they were living the best possible life for them. And they were asked about their income. Most Americans, 85%, regardless of their income, felt happy each day. Almost 40% of respondents also reported feeling stressed, which is not mutually exclusive with happiness. And 24% had feelings of sadness. But most people are also satisfied with the way their uh, life was going. But researchers found that lower income did not cause sadness itself, but made people feel more ground down by the problems that they already had. Okay, so when you hit, but when you hit 75K, that effect disappears. Your probs go away. Your probs, well, they technically, they don't. Not more probs. (laughs) The problems (laughs) don't go away, but the way you, you don't feel as stressed about the problems. You don't feel as bad about the problems. You still see the problems "Eh, and you're like, eh. I have 75 not I'm not depressed about it. But if you start making more than that, then you it doesn't bring you more again. happiness. And there is Natalie was uh, our friend of the show. Who's who is, been on the show. She has been on the show. What? Who is she on Twitter? Natalie V. Uh, I won't put her in the show notes because she likes. No, that's not her. But if you can find her Twitter, please, while I'm speaking, then I could read the exact tweet. Uh, but she tweeted something talking about how like she was in the she's in the design community and she was kind of like disappointed by the designers who are like all about the money and talking about the money and saying like money doesn't make you happy. Well, technically it does, but there is this threshold. Now they've recently upped the threshold in 2015. They upped the threshold to 83,000. Natalie VI. Natalie VI. N-A-T, no T-H. She has no time for the H. Right, seriously. She's too busy. Uh, Well, maybe you could send me the link. Anyway, she uh, she was kind of down on the designers and I replied and I said, well, you know what? Actually, like 75K a year will make you happy. That seems to be the threshold. Well, now, it, like I said, now it is uh, it is 83. And the guy who came out with this uh, or the people who did this, Angus Deaton and Daniel Kahneman, who wrote this, they just won a Nobel Prize for this theory. But it's $83,000 now that you need to make to feel happy. And they did, I found some charts, also we'll put those into the show notes, that the perfect salary actually varies based on what state you're in. Not interesting. So that'll be in the show notes Very too. But in 2014... Uh, is when they came up with these numbers. And I'll give you an example. In Texas, 
that's actually not 75,000, it's 69,600. Compare that to Delaware, it's 79,000. Montana is 70, almost 74,000. Florida, 74,000. California, it's 95,000. So you have to take that in consideration. And if you're so. living in California and you're making 75K now and you're like, why aren't I happy? That's because you've <laughs> well, got to make why. 20K more than that. But a smaller study it suggests that a $50,000 salary is when you start to see significant differences in life satisfaction and well-being. That's fascinating to me Very that there are these different thresholds where at 50K, you start to feel like, yeah, you know what? Things are all right. This is all right. But at 75, you feel you feel good. You can say, yeah, I've got these problems, but they're not that big of a deal. And I just I find I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to remember. I remember when I first and uh, when I first got a salary of 75K and I really really did feel like I didn't have to worry anymore. Like I was like, things were just, they were all right. I think that's like a milestone in people's minds for their salary. Like I feel Mm -hmm. like there are certain milestones, you know, like it's almost like when you celebrate your 21st, your 16th birthday, your 21st birthday, right? Your 30th and then your 50th. (laughs) I feel like people skip their 40th birthday. Right, right. Or or maybe sk- and then skip to seventy after that. Yeah, but there is there is something to be said for that. I remember the feeling of you know I had gone from you know my wife and I would go we'd go out to eat for a really nice dinner at like like a Chili's, and that would be our nice mm-hmm. dinner. And instead of ordering two cokes, I I discovered that restaurants will refill your drink as as much as you drink of it. I could never drink them fast enough. And so I'd have like three root beers around me. Right. <laughs> I hated that. But if you order a Coke, they'll bring you a, a Coke. And then when it gets low, they refill it. What were you drinking? Were you drinking Coke? All right, I'll be right back. More Coke. Now you really have two almost full glasses of so Coke. So <laughs> what we would do is we would just have, we would just order one Coke and we would share it. Because as soon this as we smart. were done with it, they'd bring us back. But that's like where we were financially. Yeah. And then when you hit that 75K, you're like, you know what? We can go out, you know, we can go to a nice restaurant it's a, two a couple night. times a week and we can each order our own Coke. That's when you know you're doing well. You can you can order your own drink. There's another interesting article uh, here that uh, talks about resumes and the worthlessness, worthlessness of resumes. We've had whole, we've done whole shows, Hattie. On resumes. On resumes, talking about tell how they're, they're not worthless. Oh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you all about why they're saying that it's worthless as soon as I tell you about Wealthfront. Wealthfront is an automated investment service with nearly three billion in client assets under management. They manage a diversified, continually rebalanced portfolio of index funds on behalf of their clients in a low cost and tax efficient manner. In English, They make it easier for anyone to get access to a sophisticated, diversified, long-term investment portfolio without high fees, without account minimums that you will find in a traditional wealth management infrastructure. Historically, you need to invest a million dollars to get the attention of a good financial advisor or wealth management professional, and they're going to take 1% per year in management fees from you. Wealthfront charges no trading commissions and is completely free for accounts under $10,000, but I told them that is not enough. 
I said to our listeners, Toy, 10,000. <laughs> this is not enough. I'm, in, I'm insulted. And Wealthfront said, oh, no, no. We get you. We feel you. We see where you're coming from. 15K. Listeners of this show, Wealthfront will manage your first $15,000 entirely free of charge for life. So in addition to never paying commissions or hidden fees, you won't pay any management fees on that first 15K that you have invested. To get that, to learn more about Wealthfront, go to Wealthfront.com slash 5x5. Listen, people, invest your money. My kid was saying to me uh, just the other day, talking about Futurama. He's like, how come Fry's like a multi-billionaire? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he only invested like $8 in, you know, 2012 or whatever year he was, or 2002 or whatever the year was that he was frozen. And this takes place in the year 3000. So he's like, he's like, how, how, how come he's a multi-billionaire? I said, well, that's something called compound interest. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like we talked about that, but like even grown adults who are working are not saving. You can save with a tiny little bit of money. You could put $500 in Wellfront. Yep. And uh, in, a, in a thousand years, you'd be a billionaire too. <laughs> a thousand years. So go check it out. Wellfront.com slash five by five. There's Natalie. I see her tweet. This is me when I hear people talk about how much money they make as if money equals happiness. And there's a... Who is this actress? Uh, that I believe. Oh my gosh, I can't she's, believe that. She's pretty. She is she's the a brunette. Jessica Jones actress. She's doing this sort of rolling your eyes. Ritter. She's rolling her eyes and being like, "Oh." So Natalie, I got to tell you, if you make eighty three k, then money does equal happiness. <laughs> uh, all right. Now resumes are worthless, Hattie. This is an article. On quartz. I'm enjoying the quartz. Article written by Christian Bonilla. Bonilla? Bonilla. They're talking in this article about how uh, they, now new CEOs, are they don't care about resumes anymore. That resumes are not the reason why you're going to get hired. And that's fascinating that, that this, the way this CEO will interview people is they will really like to talk to them. That, and, that, and I'll tell you why I think this title is misleading. Because it's the resume that gets you in the door. Once you're right. in the door, and I, I, I totally see where, where this article is going. But you, how do you see me interview people all the yes, time? Yes, very much so. Once the, I, I absolutely use the resume to determine who I'm going to talk to and who I'm not going to talk to. Yep. But once they're in the door, I don't, I don't look at that. I don't care about that. I want to get to know them as a person. I want to talk to them as a person the and see what they do. The resume is more of a filter, a beginning filter. And then after that, then, then it's more like then the real interview starts. The CEO that's been interviewed here says... Um, Work isn't at all like school and learning comes through failure. Sometimes the people who did really well in school turn out to be your worst employees because they're way too worried about failure. I tell kids at every career fair that they're going to fail and they need to learn how to learn from that if they want to succeed in whatever they do. The other thing I see lacking sometimes is self-direction. When you get out in the world, it's like being dropped in the middle of the ocean. Your college exams, however, however hard they were, had answers. In real life, nobody's asking any questions and nobody's got any answers for you. You've got to figure it all out on your own. 
And uh, the, the main question is, does the emphasis you place on personality and culture fit mean you place less value on a person's resume? And his answer, in the main, I think resumes are crap, especially for young people. They tell me very little about a person's potential. We give paid student internships, and it amazes me some of the resumes these kids send to us. 18 pages of French club and chess club and playing soccer and God knows what else. Really, who gives a S about that? I don't. But it does get you in the door. Yeah, I think it does too. 18 pages. Yeah, that's, yeah, no. Resumes should be one page, in my opinion. If you can't fit what you've done relevant to the job that you're relevant, applying right. for There's, to one page, you you need to you need to show me 15 to 20 years of experience. Right, to where if you're applying for NASA, yes, 18 pages, I'm going to need more. I like, will say, how about this? <laughs> let's let's make an exception. Let's make a new rule. One page for every 10 years of experience that you've had. I love that. Okay. So if you've been working for 20 years, that means you're probably in your 40s. You can have two-page resume. All right, I'll allow sure. it. Sure. And, and that's only if you really need it. Right. But don't be filling, don't just put fillers in your resume. Like, give me an example of good filler. Didn't you help your a sister cheer, with resumes? Yes. Uh, a cheer department. Uh, like, that doesn't, that has no, no reflection on how good you're going to be in a job. Like, I know a lot of people that would say, oh, well, that's going to, that shows that they're good at working with a team. But mm. that's just a stretch. Like I was on the cheer team and I was always in the back not not doing what I should have <laughs> been doing. <laughs> um, but I'm a really good worker. So I think, I don't know. Sometimes I think that it's I... It's got to be relevant. Yeah, it does. You know, and I, I've said this before. I feel that if you are transitioning from one career to another, you're in a very similar place that uh, a new person out of school might be in. Because someone coming out of school, they might have done a couple internships. They might have had a few relevant projects. But probably what they have are a lot of part-time jobs working in a restaurant, working in a mall, working in something like that. And you're going to say, well, how is – and they're, what they're going to try to do – is they're going to try to show how their job at as a server at is, you know at Chili's is again is useful to this job that they're applying for at you know to work at the law firm or something. And reality, no, it's it it is not relevant. What is relevant though is that you had a job and that you were able to show up and that you were able to be on time for your job and, you and work the hours. Fired. You weren't immediately fired. That you kept that job for a year you or two years or five from years. the employer, <laughs> right? And there is something to be said for that for somebody who can hold down a part time job or, while they're in school and not get fired and do that for Bravo. a long period of time. <laughs> I don't need to know that you you know were promoted from busser to server. That's fine. I mean, like, that's great. You you know, I'm going to hold your college degree a little higher than the promotion from busser to server. But the point is, like, you showed up and you did this thing called a job and you did it for a long period of time. That shows that you can stick to it. But I don't need to know in detail what you did at Chili's as a server. I know because I've eaten at restaurants before. I already know because I live in America and I've eaten at a restaurant. I know what you do as a server. So don't describe it to me. I can give me one line of yeah, you worked there from this time for this much time, right? And and that's it. If you did anything outstanding, like you had, you were employee, were you employee of the, of the month, month? Yeah. every month for the entire time you worked there. <laughs> yes, put that that's down. Something. 
Now, let's do your uh, your side topics, Hattie. Okay, I uh, we I don't know how you want to start this topic, but um, I feel like we've talked to multiple people that work from home lately, either developers or designers, and I've always noticed that in the background, I always hear their kids, and you know, it's always adorable. They're always like, "Just one more minute, mm-hmm. I'll be right there," mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's really cute. Um, and I thought that was so fascinating because this generation of children who's probably under, under let's say under 11, they get to see their parents work every single day if they work from home. And I think that's really going to change right. the way that they work as people when they're in the workforce. And I think that it really opens them up to knowing lots of different jobs and and they get to watch people work at a younger age instead of just once once you're able to see people work when you're aware of the world and mm-hmm. you notice, oh, right, these people are actually doing a job, <laughs> right. you know, at the mall or whatever. Um, but I, I just thought that was interesting. And I really wonder how that's going to affect these kids. And I, you know, my parents didn't get to see their parents do their job day in, day out. Right. And so I think it's, I, I don't know, I think it's really going to be interesting and I'm curious to see what you, what do you think? Yeah, it's always so mysterious because, you know, like my dad would leave for work. I had no idea what he was doing. And then like the right. one day that you're like, oh, it's, you know, go to work with your parents day that you go there and, and you like kind of sort of see what they do. Right. Like my kids know that I record shows, but they also know that I do other things like they know that I'm involved in sales. They know that I'm writing code and that I'm, I'm building this system. And so I was doing a little bit of, uh, of code over the weekend and my eight year old son is sitting there looking at me and he's like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Like, um, you know, writing code. And he understands that cause he's, he reads very, very well. And so he's just kind of reading over my shoulder and he's looking and he understands that I'm typing and that the, the symbols have meanings. He doesn't he doesn't get what I'm really doing or how it works or how it goes together behind the scenes. He's not that interested in it. But, you know, it's he'll get there. <laughs> I'm sure he will get there. But the way that he was just kind of looking at it and, 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 and kind of saying, like, like, you're writing code. I'm like, yeah, he's like, this is you're like giving the computer instructions on what to do and like how to do it. I'm like, that's that's a good way to think of it. You know, saying he's like, do you do that every day? I'm like, yes, I do this hours a day every day. (laughs) And his response wasn't, well, that's boring. It was like, oh, okay, like that he so he can kind of conceptualize some of what goes on right. in, in a day. But I never really knew. I remember like my mom was an English professor and would teach, uh, teach classes. And I remember that uh, I got to watch her teach a couple classes. I think she, Oh, that'd be really fun. <laughs> she was teaching high school at the time. She was most of her career taught college, but she was, te- I think she was teaching high school at the time. And I was like sitting in the back of the class and like, you know, like drawing and whatever a kid would do for the right, digital like just- age. <laughs> and, and, you know, and she was up there teaching and I remember like, okay, like after that, I walked out of there like, okay, now I know what she's doing. Right, like I can picture her at, you know, at two o'clock. This is what right. she's doing. <laughs> That's cute. I got to watch my parents work all the time. Yeah. So I just, I wonder. You were, you were involved in their work to some degree, right? Like they would use you as a, as a uh, well, test subject sometimes? Well, yeah. You know, like get in here. We need to see if this light's good. Yeah. Maybe, you know, Your parents are professional photographers. Yes. Very good ones. Uh, 
and so I got to I got to watch them. I got to watch all the and you worked for your aunt and uncle for a while too, right? Yes, and so I got to watch them work. But and so I wonder, not saying that this is why I am a hard worker, uh, but do you think that this will make this generation of children work harder because they see their parents working so hard because they're working for themselves? I mean, that's interesting. It's, you know, like they know that they need to push themselves harder. Um, so many people. And like, I wonder how that's going to affect like having a boss. What if yeah. they grow up having a boss one day? Is that going to be weird for them? Yeah. Like, I don't know. You know, I remember my uh, my son asking me one time, he's like, you're like a boss, right? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like yeah, I am. And I was like, yeah, I guess. I guess so. He's like, like in the society sense, he's a boss. <laughs> he's, like, he, he's like, you can fire people, right? And I said, unfortunately, yes. And I have had to fire people. He's like, you know, but you can like, if someone does something wrong, like you can fire them. <laughs> and and he's like, like, yes, like and I'm like, you know, like, yeah, but that's not like firing people is not like cool. The it's part. the worst part of your whole <laughs> yeah, life. You right. know, like you don't want to fire people. That means that means you as a boss have failed. It means they have not done a good job. It, maybe there's other reasons that the business is failing. Like, firing is not a good thing like that's not that's not what you look forward to and become running a business or doing something especially if it's a small business i feel like at a large business it might be less horrific but i don't know i remember the first time that i had to fire somebody it was absolutely terrible you've made me fire people well yeah i don't like doing it i hated it but the first time that i had to do it (laughs) i was probably i was probably about 25 years old and there, uh, we had, uh, I was working at a startup during the dot-com time period, the bubble, the boom. And I, we had hired, I had hired, we were building some websites and we had constant needs for like images and graphics and logos and designs and website stuff and brochures and all of the stuff you would need to hire a designer to do. And I interviewed a ton of different designers and keep in mind, this was in the like mid nineties. I was working in Orlando, Florida. So my options for designers were not, we didn't have a lot of choices. So I picked the best guy that I, that was out of the applicants. And there were not that many applicants. And he was a very nice guy, young, much younger than me. You know, he was probably like 21, fresh out of college. And you know, he had a good like sense of humor and then we all as a group, we would joke around a lot. We had a lot of fun, uh, but he was doing what I found designers sometimes do, which is uh, fail to deliver. <laughs> yeah. And am I mischaracterizing designers? Could you say the same thing about everyone else in every under every other industry? Sure, you could. You could say the same thing about software developers. But you know I what? Could, yeah, I could say the same thing about how long it's taken me to get Fireside out the door. But, but I think that with design, you're waiting for like a physical piece for someone to like hand you something and be like, or email you the file to be like, here it is. Uh-huh. You're not getting like little pieces of it, you know? I don't mean to be deriding uh, designers, but hey, he failed I to, agree. He failed to deliver. And you are a designer, so it's, it's okay. I agree with that. <laughs> He failed to deliver consistently and I gave him multiple warnings. I gave him multiple requests. I gave him multiple deadlines, not over a period of a day, but of a period over many, many weeks. And after a long enough amount of time where he had just 
never <laughs> delivered anything after coming to work for us. Nothing had been delivered, even simple little things like, you know, this is back in the day when like if you knew how to like resize a logo without it looking like crap. Right. Like you had some serious skill, you know, and like little things like that. He wouldn't do it. And I was I was doing all of it. And That's I'm like, the other what do we have this part. guy if, here for? If you can do the work that you're telling someone else to do, <sighs> so and they went, don't do it. I went to my boss and I'm like, listen, like after all this time, like he's just not delivering and it's a problem. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I know. He's like, you're going to need to let him go. Or he's, he probably said, yeah, we're going to need to let him go. To which I said, good, you know, like I totally agree. All right, well, let me know, you know, what you what you need from me and I'll be over in my cube, you know. And he's like, no, 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 you're going to let him go. <laughs> no. And I was like, well, I've never done that before. He's like, good luck. Is, yeah, <laughs> this is a good time to, to learn. And so I went and you I sat down with them and I the told way. them I wanted to have a meeting with them and brought them over and I said, okay, you know, like this sucks, but... I've given you lots of opportunities and chances to deliver and we really haven't in six weeks have seen nothing from you. Maybe it was longer than that. Yeah. Uh, we haven't really seen anything from you. And um, unfortunately, uh, you know, after asking many, many times and giving you many, many chances, like we're going to have to let you go. And he's like, all right, whatever, dude. Like, <laughs> I'm like, and no, like, I was stressing about this. I'm like, really? And he's like, he's not getting it. He thinks I'm just BSing him. He's really? Like, yeah. He's like, <laughs> you know, you're messing with me. I'm like, no. no, no, I'm really not. I know that we get along well and we have fun we here, joke. but this is not a joke. <laughs> this is for real. He's like, you're kidding. Like, I don't believe you. Whatever, dude. Like, I'm going to go to lunch, but you know, don't mess around with me like that. It's not cool. I'm like, I no. I'm, really I'm being serious. completely truthful. And he's like, I don't believe you. I'm like, you want me to go get John and he'll confirm this? John was my boss. And he's like, yeah, go get John because I don't believe you. <laughs> and you had to go tell him that you and didn't I walk over to John and John's like, how'd it go, Dan? I'm like, he doesn't believe me. <laughs> he's like, what? He's like, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't believe that I'm firing him. He won't believe me and he's refusing to leave. <laughs> and John's like... Okay, so he gets up and he comes over and he sits down and he looks at him and he's like, why Why is Dan messing with me like this? He's like, Dan is telling you that he's letting you go and that's what's happening. And he got up and left. And that was he's a like, rude awakening he's for like, him. Okay, and, uh, but what it, what it taught me, what it taught me was a valuable lesson. <laughs> Don't joke around and say you're fired all the time. Well, no I, I, no, I mean, I had never joked around and said he was <laughs> fired. But what it taught me was that to to at least a certain degree, you have to maintain, especially in the, a corporate situation, you, ha you can't. And there is a great episode of The Office where... Uh, Michael is trying to like hang out with his employees. I remember that. And he kind of realizes is that, that like- the cruise one? I can't remember. But okay. he, he basically comes away from it having learned the lesson that I learned, which is there, your employees almost like you have to maintain a, a separation to some degree yeah. because inevitably at some point you're either going to need to do a performance evaluation or you're going to need to give them a review or you're going to need to fire them or give them a raise or do something- 
where you are absolutely going to be in that we have employee to step fully employer, back into that. right? Mm-hmm. And if you it, and I don't think he saw me as a peer. It was very clear he saw me as his his boss. But you had made it clear that you were more equal in a right, like socially, soci- social in a way we were, yeah. we were kind of like friends. And it sucks because here's what's going to happen as a boss, as an entrepreneur, as a, <laughs> a business owner. You're going to really like the people that are working for you. Because you're, hopefully you've hired people that you do like. <laughs> right. And you're going to want to be friends with them because you spend all day with them. But it's your job and your role and your duty to always maintain just enough so that it's clear that we can have fun, we can get along, we can do cool things together. But that at the end of the day, never forget that I'm, that I'm, your, I'm, boss, I'm yeah. your boss in the sense of I may fire you one day. Or you may want to raise and I may have to say no. Or if we're in a big company, I, you, I may be the guy that says I'm reassigning you to do this project that I know you don't want to do. And that sucks. But so I was so young. I was, you know, 24, 25 that I had never learned any of this. But it's something that I think carries a lot of weight today. And also know that sometimes if you're like, why is my boss so not cool? <laughs> It's because your boss is frequently dealing with stuff like this that maybe they want to be cool, but they know they can't be cool. Now we're almost to our big topic, Hattie. Did you have an a, a, a side, another aside you want? I had to- a question that I think everybody that listened to the last episode. Go ahead, caller. Uh, should question. Go ahead. Are we burning ourselves out by making our hobby into a side hustle? Yes, I think so too. Like if you love knitting for fun, and that's what you Will do when you get home at the end of the day, right? You have to do it right. for someone else now, right? And now it's your job, and now you're like, "This sucks, I hate it." But and then you have no more hobbies after that. You know, there's the old <laughs> uh, the old joke in design where they they say the client always says, "Make the logo bigger." You know, yeah. that was the old uh, trope in that space, but. You know, designing for yourself or programming for yourself or writing for yourself or knitting for yourself, whatever it is that you're doing, when you're doing it on your time for you in the way that you want to do it, it feels so different than being told or you directed to what to do by someone else. Or an order just came in for three cat hats that I now have to knit. <laughs> right. And the the way to, to kind of address that is... You know, if you like doing that thing more than the other thing you were doing full time, then, yeah, it'll still be more rewarding. But there is something to be said for the act of helping people, serving people, helping people, helping them accomplish something that in and of itself can be very rewarding. How do you're an example of that? You enjoy and have always enjoyed being being helpful. And I think for you, it's it's easier to. uh to, to know it's easier to do something you might not like to do if you know that it is helpful and beneficial. And I think it's easy for people to overlook that. How do you keep keep that as a priority? Helping people? Yeah. I think it's just part of me. I just, I can't help it. Because <laughs> you seem to really like, like it doesn't I'll matter. I'll go out of it, my way like to do anything for people that I barely know. Um, yeah. Like if somebody... Like if I'm in the parking lot and somebody, you know, 13 rows away from me, but I can see them up there, like drops their bag. Like 
I am now completely obligated to help them <laughs> completely pick up all the uh, apples and oranges that have spilled out. Like it, and everything that I have to do, unless I am running to my car late, I I have a strong urge to go and help them. I have always done that. I don't know why. I think it's an admirable thing, and I think that if you look at it from that standpoint, that you're performing a task that that they can't do or that they know you do well, as opposed to, because I can't tell you how many times as a, a, a when, especially back when I was doing like courseware, where we were basically building like what we used to call CBT's computer-based training, which is like you would, it's essentially a screencast, what we think of as a screencast now. And I would come up with a great course outline and great, you know, really, really good content. And then my boss would be like, okay, we'll take this out, take this out, change this, use this word. And I'm like, you're screwing it up, man. Like, you don't see the vision. They'd be like, no, I do see the vision. And, and I'm telling you what the vision is. <laughs> and, uh, and, and like, my job had to be create this thing that maybe I'm not in control of, create this thing that is going to be the way they want it to be, even if I don't agree. Uh, and and that's hard. I think that's hard, especially in creative fields, you know. But it, it's a it's a challenge. But I think burning ourselves out, you know, taking taking that thing that was a special individual pursuit, and now doing that full time, doing it for someone else. Like, let me ask you a question about it. your your uncle. He uh, masters uh, records, basically. Mm-hmm. And he's had some huge big name clients. They rec- my, Here's my understanding of it. They are going to go to a studio and they're going to record the song in the studio. And then... The, the client. The yes. client. The client, the musician, the, the, the recording artist records it in the studio. There's a producer, right? And the producer's like in the studio doing whatever producers do in the studio, right? Yep. Your uncle is not the producer. No. But then they take this thing that has been recorded and they bring it to him. Yes. And he, he makes it sound great. He does something above and beyond the way it was recorded. Right. And and masters it, does things to make it sound even better. Mm-hmm. And so Clean, cleaning it up, you know, taking out certain sounds that maybe the basically it's an unedited the he gets an unedited track or right. unedited unedited album yeah um, and now he masters it and makes it sound amazing mm-hmm. and then that is what gets sent to the companies that yes, turn master. that into C- cds mm-hmm. or start streaming it online or whatever correct when he's doing that is the recording artist there with him frequently yes, like yes. like listening to it as well or talking to him about the tracks yes and, stuff? and they'll say you know what raise the drums a little bit more on that part or i don't like that the way that it faded out like that can you change that or right things and like so, that so so even though he's like an um, expert at this and has been doing it for te- you know i'm sure he does way more technical things than just that. i'm sure i'm sure <laughs> we're, not, we're not doing that's how much i do we're not doing his you. his job justice no. we, okay so i was uh, sorry but even even someone who is seen as an expert who has done this kind of work for huge huge performers still he's at the mercy of what the person who's paying him his hourly rate to go and do yes. the mastering is doing, right? And that's got to be frustrating too. Especially when you might get an album that you don't like the sound of. Right. <laughs> Just 
because it's not the kind of music you listen to. Right. There are many times when I would be sitting at the front desk and they'd be mastering something in the back and it would just be nails on a chalkboard. Really? But you just, you have to make it sound, you know, like you just have to make it the best that you can make right, it. Right, right. <laughs> I'd I like think, to ask him how he, yeah. you know, how he, he, he keeps it fun, how he keeps it interesting. I remember once it was like a, a polka, <laughs> like compilation that came in or something. <laughs> it was not good. Man. Our last sponsor is Squarespace. Heidi, have you heard of Squarespace before? I think so. Squarespace. I'm not sure. Tell me about them. This is the the uh, the company that does amazing things for websites. They make it possible for anyone, regardless of their level of skill, their level of expertise, to create an amazing, professionally designed website, no coding required. And I use Squarespace too, like, for example, baconmethod.com. That's a Squarespace site. Why? I could have, sure, could I made that? I'm sure I could have made a website for Bacon Method. But I said, you know what? Squarespace does all of this stuff for me instead of me having to worry about all of this. How's it going to look at all these different browsers? And what about RSS feeds? And how do I embed content? And what about Amazon affiliate links and all this stuff? It just, it just works. It just does it for me. And even though I could write all of this stuff myself, why should I? When I can do it more easily and way faster with Squarespace and get the benefits of their hosting infrastructure, the benefit of their CDN, the benefit of not having to sweat these details, they've already figured it out for us. Intuitive, easy-to-use tools. You even get a free domain if you sign up for a year. Isn't that amazing? That's crazy. And they have a trial site. You can go there and create your own site. You don't have to pay anything. Nothing. The only time you have to pay is when you've got it built and you say, you know what? I like this. I do I like this. I want to keep. I want to, yes, or I as, want to keep Or as it. I said when I was little, how to keep. How to keep. When how to keep, when you want to take this thing live and show it to the world, that's when you can pay and you're going to save money if you go to squarespace.com slash quit yep. and you use the promo code quit, you'll get 10% off your first purchase. When you decide to sign up. So again, the URL to go to to learn more and to support the show is squarespace.com slash quit and use the offer code quit to get 10% off your first purchase. My last topic. The big topic. The big topic is an article that came up in the Wall Street Journal. Again, this is in the show notes. Why the conventional wisdom about job hopping millennials is wrong. Ah, uh. This is a great article by Jennifer Deal. Jennifer Deal writes, Millennials are frequently derided as job-hopping slackers who prefer gigs to careers and don't think about job security because they're happy moving from company to company, but my research shows the conventional wisdom is wrong. She continues, Based on hundreds of interviews colleagues and I have conducted with millennials, we've concluded that many of them want job security a lot more than people think they do. They saw the devastating effects of layoffs on people's lives during the Great Recession and its aftermath and are concerned about finding themselves in a similar situation. They want the chance to put down roots, to buy homes or cars or have long-term leases, to save for retirement, to plan ahead for the next few years, not just the next season. But many don't think they can make those financial or personal commitments because they don't believe they have job security. And... I didn't believe this at first. I mean, obviously she's done the research, but I was surprised this is not... This is not what I thought. And I said, well, what about even younger millennials? 
She writes about that too. She says, younger millennials, those who aren't at the point of buying a house or having a child, are also thinking about job security because they are planning for the future. They think about whether the organization offers good opportunities and job security over the long term, or whether it's just a place they should stay for a while to gain some experience before going on to a company where they believe they can have a real career. I thought that percentage... 49% yeah. of millennials in our research say they would like to stay with an organization for more than 10 years, but many don't think their position is secure enough to settle in for the long haul. That's interesting. And so then you would ask yourself, why then are millennials known for right. if they job want to stay there for 10 or more years. <laughs> she says, for one thing, they don't believe that job security is even an option where they work. So those who don't think job security is part of the deal keep looking for the next good opportunity, one that might come with security. And they say to themselves, if I know I'm going to be pushed out at some point, it's better for me to leave when I find something good rather than stick around waiting to be let go. At least this way I'm in charge when I leave rather than a subject of the whims of others. Well, and I think with the way... With the way that how fast everything moves now, like you might be at a company that's the hottest thing now and then in two years it might be going under. So I understand that. That makes sense. And she ends the article. Her punchline is it's a vicious circle. Managers and leaders think job security isn't important to millennials and therefore neither offer it nor talk about it as part of the employee value proposition. Millennials, thinking job security isn't an option where they are, seek new jobs elsewhere where they can at least improve their pay and develop opportunities and think they might have a better shot at job security. But those leaders who do recognize how important job security is to millennials can make job security a key differentiator for their organization and in doing so attract good, stable workforce that the organization can build on for the future. But it is really a vicious circle if you think about it because, oh, millennials... They don't care. Right, They're so just don't even leave. put that They're in the brochure. They're going to anyway. Yeah, right. don't put it in the brochure, Hattie, because you, you're not going to stick around. That's the opposite of what they right. want. And I said, you know what? I'll do my own research. So I polled 37, 38,000 people mm-hmm. on Twitter. And I said- Some of which are millennials. Most, apparently. Because I got a ton of responses. And I said, please read this. If you, I said, if you're a millennial, please read this article- and and tell me if you agree. Across the board, every single person yep. who responded said, absolutely, yes. They said, that's me. They're writing about me. They're uh-huh. talking about me. They're talking about my situation. And I, I was astonished by that because it really would suck to be in that situation of, mm-hmm. I really wish I could stick around, but people don't think I want to. People don't think that I'm going to. And then they treat me like I'm not going to, so I don't. Right, <laughs> you know, it's like it the sucks. <laughs> and uh, and there was so there's another article from the New Yorker. How do I think? I forget if you sent me this one. The fallacy of job insecurity. No, I don't think I sent you this. This one. is another great article that that I feel like is a companion piece in a way. That they're saying, um, they're talking about how old-fashioned long-term jobs have disappeared. They are gone. The bedrock of the this old model where you could get a job with good benefits for your entire career, that that is gone. And what's interesting though is they're saying it actually never existed. That we have this nostalgia around it. And the author says 
Moreover, our collective nostalgia misinterprets historical job security so completely that it gets close to backward. We imagine a past where everyone had 30-year careers tapering off into a work twilight and then retirement. But this memory is surprisingly at odds with the data. The typical worker now stays at a job six months longer than the average worker did a decade ago. Taking an even longer term view, the typical worker has stayed at the same job for more than four and a half years versus three and a half years in 1983. That's really interesting. So we're we're, we're not doing anything bad as well, millennials. You know, it's, it, again, they're comparing it to 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. But I think it's the generation before mine, my parents and before, uh-huh. who... Who, right. uh, who they're really talking about, not m- my generation, because I can tell you that when I uh, when I was graduating college, I was in jobs for six months, a year, two years tops, and I was out. The flip side of that, I think, is that in in a bigger company, people come in and in a place like Twitter, I don't know what the turnover is in a, in a giant place like Twitter or Apple or whatever, but I just got right. an email from somebody who was telling me that they were there. They were at oh, they loved the show. And that they have just left their job at Apple after five years or whatever to go and work at this other place and that the show was part of what inspired them to learn something new and go to a new place. This is crazy because for for many, many years, like the idea of working at Apple, it seemed incredibly exclusive and impossible to get into and was like the holy grail of like, where would anyone want to right, work? Like that's the pinnacle of where yeah. you're trying to get to. No How, matter if you're a designer or a developer or uh, an engineer or right. anything, you're like, that's where I want to go. <laughs> right. And yet here's someone who's like leaving it. Well, Peace, Apple. Guess what? Apple's just... It may be a really cool place to work, but it's just a place to work, just like the rest of uh, the rest of the world. So, anyway, here's one one thing that's interesting from this New Yorker article. One group has suffered in terms of job stability. You can probably guess which one: men in the later stages of their careers. The share of men older than fifty five who've been at their jobs for twenty years or more has plummeted. In 1983, almost 45% of men in their late 50s and early 60s had been at their jobs 20 years or more. Now that number is about 31%, meaning that fewer than a third of men keep their jobs that they got in their prime into their late working years. If you leave out government jobs, the numbers would likely look worse. Meanwhile, retirement comes later, if at all. And the share of Americans who stay in the workforce after age of 55 is increasing. The pay raises that at one time may have been rewards for a job well done are now a reason to reevaluate whether a worker is worth his salary or might be better replaced with someone who comes with lower costs and newer skills. Get a, yo- a youngie in there. Yeah, they're talking more about in this article. It's, I won't read the whole thing because it's long, but uh, they talk about the gig economy. What is that? That uh, basically that you can't find a long lasting job. Oh, like you're like, this is just my, this is what this I'm is my doing gig. right now. Like, this is my gig right now. Like this isn't. Like anything more than just a gig. I'm going to make a chart and it's going to show like the levels of words of being in a job. So it'll be like side hustle, then gig, then job, then career, and then, I don't know, (laughs) hashtag goals. I don't know. (laughs) Well, that's all we got for this week. I don't know. How do you feel like I feel like episode 96, you know, we have four more to do. And we need to People make that need that to make the decision. Has, you know, and maybe maybe we'll leave it in the hands of our listeners. Have we done enough? Is it time to wind the show down? Is episode one hundred our final episode? 
uh, or should we keep it going? It's a, it's going to be and up to so, you guys. How many? Yeah. Don't get crazy. Yeah. So tweet at us. Uh, Hattie's on Twitter at H-A-D-D-I-E, bird. And you're on Twitter as uh, D.B. Swagga. No, just at Dan Benjamin. Oh. Is that my rap name? You yeah. were working on my rap name the other day. Yeah. Tell them the, the options I have for my rap uh, name. Yeah, this was put through a uh, rap name generator. Right. Uh, you got D.B. Swagga, uh-huh. Danny Slice. Uh-huh. You got, uh, you got D. Danny Master. AKA Devious Chill. That's the whole the whole name. <laughs> that's the full one. Okay, that's one and name. And then the last one is Young Pain. Young Pain. <laughs> All right, so to go over them one more time so the listeners can vote. They, oh, yes, they can uh, tweet me at Dan Benjamin and let me know which, which is one to favorite? go with. DB Swagga. DB Swagga. Danny Slice. D Danny Master, AKA Devious Chill. Uh huh. And Young Pain. Young Pain. I got some good ones. <laughs> Mine, I'm pretty sure I just, I went ahead and chose mine. What, is your, what did you the, choose? The first one that I got, and it's the one I'm going to stay with, is Master Professional. I love it. <laughs> it's so cool. Or Foxy Samples. That's so good, though, Foxy Samples. Did you tell it if you were no, male or female? Yes, yes. Okay. And then- Because uh, like, it didn't come out with like, Foxy right. for me. No. Uh, Lil Face. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means, but okay. Uh <laughs> Yeah, yours are Th- good. Those are my three that I Little got. Little Face, Foxy Samples, and Master Professional. I like I like Master Foxy Pro- Samples though. I know because you're you have like five foxes on your desk right now. Yeah, I do. So and I've like, uh, just think yeah. carefully. You always I have a it, lot more foxes. I'd be home. sitting there and <laughs> and she'll be like staring at her phone, laughing. I'm like, what are you looking at? And she'll turn her phone around. And it'll be a video a of this woman who has a fox as a yeah. pet. Wait, instead of a cat or a dog just a fox but then there's this time of year where the fox gets like yeah like uh you know how vulcans every 15 years they go into this weird state of mind where they need to breed anyway at dan benjamin on twitter five by five tv slash quit slash 96 for the show notes and the links to those articles i mentioned uh, thanks very much for tuning in and i will uh, talk to you next week <laughs> <laughs>